GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. So on the podcast today, I'm delighted to be joined by Tanya Romano. Uh, Tanya is at the company Skin Suticals, and we're going to talk about how skin cancer doctors, GPs, and other doctors can make good use of, uh, let's call them cosmeceuticals, sort of powerful treatments for skin. Before we dive in with a bunch of questions, Tanya, thank you very much for joining us. Can you briefly introduce yourself, your background and the company SkinCeuticals that, that you work for? And then I'll lead us through a few key questions. Sure thing. Thank you, David, for having <clears throat> me on your podcast. So as you've said, I work currently for SkinCeuticals. I'm a scientist in by trade, really. I have a PhD in human physiology and left academia at the end of last year to work in industry and really be kind of a liaison between doctors, dermatologists, and, you know, cancer physicians and the cosmeceutical world talking ingredients and how they interact with the physiology of the skin for the benefit of patients who, you know, might just want to be interested in, you know, using some, a little bit of skincare every day, or for those that have, you know, a real interest in diving deep and getting into the science, into products and things like that. SkinCeuticals is a brand that many of um, your listeners might be familiar with. It is the world's number one cosmeceutical or medical grade cosmeceutical brand. And all of our products are backed by academic science. And so that's where we pride ourselves on being different to some others, where we actually have proper peer-reviewed academic studies done on many of our products and our ingredients to show that they do actually have physiological effects and clinical effects and benefits to the skin. Thanks, Tanya. That's fantastic. So let's let's start at the beginning, because I know that a lot of our listeners will not know much about this space. And that's not least because this stuff is never taught at medical school, really, or cert- and certainly. And as the as the ex-dean of a big medical school, I know that. And also, it's certainly not taught in, for example, GP fellowship training. So what on earth is a cosmeceutical? Yeah, good question. So I think the first thing is to understand that we're not talking about something that is a pharmaceutical prescribed drug. That's why we call many products cosmeceuticals because they sit in that space that really exists between being a cosmetic and a pharmaceutical, hence the word cosmeceutical. And when we talk cosmeceuticals, we are talking about products that have what we call active ingredients. And when we say something is active, that's referring to the fact that it has a physiological effect on the skin. So we know that many of these ingredients from our studies and other studies done by many researchers around the world have true cellular effects in the skin. Right, right. So, So I think that's a very helpful way into this. So would it be fair to say that a cosmetic is essentially inert? It's something that women, also men, of course, some men, put on their skin and it basically sits there right it's yeah. it's it's essentially inert you st- you put it on you wipe it off whereas Correct. what you're saying here is a cosmeceutical actually has ingredients that have an effect whatever that effect might be they have an effect at the cellular level 
Exactly. That's a great way okay. to describe it. Exactly. Something that's inert versus something that's active. Okay. And as you say, by definition, these broad products, not just your company, as you say, but but a range of companies, none of these products require a prescription, but they do have have activity. And there is a almost like it's almost a gray zone, right? Because many, many companies sell retinols. And and yet there are there is of course tretinoin that we can we can prescribe and they're not exactly the same thing but they're pretty close to being the same thing. So is that have I got the sort of spectrum right there? That is a great example, and that's probably the example I would go to, especially when talking with physicians because they would be used to prescribing something like tretinoin. So really, a good way to think about it with retinols is that it's sort of a hierarchy. So your tretinoin or your retinoic acid is at that top level. And that's a prescription drug here in Australia. And then retinol actually a few steps down the ladder and therefore it does not need to be prescribed. It's not a pharmaceutical and it can be sold by retail companies in the form of cosmeceuticals. Great. So I guess the obvious next question is who should consider using cosmeceuticals and to what end? What are they trying to achieve? When a, when a dermal clinician or, or other health worker, if you like, recommends a cosmeceutical, not prescribes, but provides or sells or recommends cosmeceuticals, who would the patient be, broadly speaking? And what's the patient trying to achieve? And what's the, what's the health worker trying to achieve, Tanya? So I think there's sort of two categories here. The first would be somebody that really has a certain issue. So they might say, I'm trying to yeah. deal with having pigmentation or I've right. got these dry patches on my face or whatever they're concerned, or I'm oily. So there might be yeah. a particular cosmeceutical product or ingredient that is tailored for that specific concern. Yeah. But then you've got people who might just say, I want to start looking after the overall health of my skin. What can I yeah. do to start having an all over glow, all over health, you know, without getting to that prescription level, what do I need on the daily? So they're the two sort of categories. And I guess that's what you might see or a doctor might see in a clinic. Somebody might ask for general skin health advice versus those more targeted concerns. Yes, I think that's very helpful. I think that does make sense. So certainly in my skin cancer practice, I will often have patients, mainly women, but not exclusively, who will say, you know, what else can we do about my skin? It looks old, it looks tired, it looks dull, it looks grey. And at the same time, or alongside that, sometimes the same time, but sometimes quite separately, they will have a specific concern that says, look at all this pigmentation. What about this redness that I've got? And that, of course, you know, often goes along with a bit of wrinkles and solar damage and, and all the rest of it. So can you give us then a little bit of a framework as doctors, particularly initially, to think about how we would guide a patient into that space? Is it, I mean, we're used to reaching for the prescription pad, right? Yeah. And so what do we do? What does a doctor that's listening to this do that this resonates with? in terms of, because not many of us have a dermal clinician working alongside us. What's the way in? Yeah. So I think the first point I want to make is that 
we need to make an important distinction between people who have a proper dermatological or medical condition that then obviously would need to be treated by a physician or a referral to a dermatologist. Of course, those are medical concerns and there's a space for that. But for people who have something that might not need the care of a dermatologist or might not be a, you know, medical pathological issue and they just want to treat some pigmentation or some redness or some general skin health. I like to, I have a little acronym that I kind of stand by, which is really easy, I think, for people to understand and would be easy for doctors in clinic to remember. And that is basically ABC and SPF. They're your main important ingredients when we're talking about everyday overall skin health. Of course, when I say that, I mean vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, and obviously SPF being probably the most important part of any skin routine with anti-aging, pigmentation, redness, you name it. We need to protect our skins from the UV that we have here in Australia. So um, those four things are really the the key to a basic, basic skin routine. Yeah, that that's very helpful. I, I think what advice would you give around? I mean, a common concern is pigmentation. Yeah. In your experience, is it worth trying cosmeceuticals or is it really better off going for, you know, a fairly heavy peel or indeed jumping into IPL or even fractional laser? What's the view on that? Because that's quite a spectrum. Pigmentation is a huge concern and it's something that we hear about all the time. And it's something that most people you know, when they start looking at their skin in in a mirror and they really take a detailed look, they start to say, oh, I've got a spot here or a spot there and and they want to treat that. I guess in... There's a couple of things with pigmentation, such as melasma, which we know is that hormonal pigmentation. That is something that can be treated very well with cosmeceuticals, but might also need medical intervention in the form of hydroquinone or tretinoin, that sort of thing, under the care of a physician or a dermatologist. But if we step away from that sort of medical level of pigmentation for your everyday sunspots and even some mild melasma cosmeceuticals really can make a big difference and I think the importance is that cosmeceuticals can be used very safely in conjunction with a number of in-clinic treatments so for example we have studies on many of our products showing that they are quite safe to use after non-ablative or ablative laser after skin needling after certain chemical peels so cosmeceuticals is really something that can be used at home either solely by the patient at home or in the clinic in conjunction with in clinic treatments. But I will say when it comes to melasma or pigmentation, you need to be wary at just firing at it with a laser because sometimes things can get worse and pigmentation can become more severe. So it's really important yeah. with anyone with pigmentation that you do start off with a peel or with something that is cosmeceutical rather than going straight to the uh, laser because it can backfire yeah yeah so obviously doctors and others who are sort of active in this space with with aesthetics and cosmetic practice um, they they will be working in partnership with dermal clinicians dermal therapists etc would it be fair to say that if you're a skin cancer doctor or a gp with a bit of an interest in this space that really you can only do so much on your own and you really need to think about, I don't know, you advise me, but could you get your practice nurse 
to take an interest and step beyond beyond what you're doing at the moment or do you have to jump into trying to recruit a dermal therapist how do you move the dial on this in practice yeah it's a big point because like you said before this is not something that gets taught in medical school or or even you know Mm. in in your postgraduate training but it's something that more and more people are becoming aware of and and concerned about and want to do you know, the right thing for their skin health. Of course, if you have access to someone like a dermal clinician in your practice, they're going to be a great source of information and guidance. But obviously that's not possible in every practice, nor is it possible in many GP practices. So many companies, I know I can only speak for SkinCeuticals, but we in particular do a lot of education for our partnering doctors and nurses because we know that there's a gap in the industry with that. Um, And we make sure that we're always keeping them up to date with the latest information and science about skin health and treatments and how they incorporate those with our cosmeceuticals and those specific ingredients. So that's a gap in the industry that we're trying to fill to help provide that education. Yeah. 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 That's very helpful. I, I think that move, that transition from nothing to something yeah. is often the hardest, right? Of course. That's where the real the real challenge is from zero to one, right? And thinking through what that really means. Let's close off if we can in the next just few minutes of, you know, you've talked earlier about the science and the evidence around a number of these products. And many of our listeners will be unaware of, of that yep. science. In my own practice, we, we've started over the last year using cosmeceuticals in inappropriate patients. And I mean, it's clear that the stuff works in so much as patients, I would say universally, are happy with the results. And what they report is that their skin is softer, uh, smoother, they feel it looks better. And of course, the killer is when they say that other people have noticed and complimented them on their skin. Of course. Now, when you're in a, a busy general practice dealing with mental health issues and youth suicide and substance abuse, you know, nice skin is not really at the, the sort of forefront of your mind. But it is worth, even as a mainstream GP, but particularly as a skin cancer doctor, just being aware that there is an evidence base and a scientific rationale behind this. Could you just summarize briefly, perhaps what vitamin A, because I think just about anybody that has half an eye on this space would agree that the consensus is clear that vitamin A works and is very beneficial and hence we can, you know, we can prescribe tretinoin, et cetera. But many doctors won't know how vitamin A works. Why don't you summarize that for us and also give insights for us, if you would, into what vitamin C does and the best formulations there we might just close off with you know a moment on each of those two Tanya yeah and and that's a great way to close up because we can take it back to the ABC SPF acronym that I like to use so yeah yeah, it's it's a really good one to to use that I'm going to steal that one (laughs) you can steal it (laughs) (laughs) I hope everyone steal it because it's a great way to remember and, and remember what to do So if we think about vitamin A, of course, we're talking about uh, retinoic acid or retinol. Like I said before, retinol is a derivative of retinoic acid. It's a few steps down the ladder. So it's not as strong as retinoic acid, but that makes it more user-friendly for your everyday consumer who doesn't need a medical grade product. 
um, in terms of prescription yeah. products. We know that retinol in the skin will get converted to retinoic acid to have its physiological effect. And so what mm. that retinoic acid will do is actually bind to receptors, cause changes in gene expression, and it causes a yeah. production, an increase in collagen production in the skin. So that's why yeah. we see a reduction in things like fine lines and wrinkles, and even an improvement with pigmentation sometimes with using just vitamin A because it really yeah. is stimulating those fibroblasts to produce collagen and improve the texture and appearance of the skin. When we talk about vitamin B, vitamin B we're talking about niacinamide. The other thing to remember when we talk about vitamin B and vitamin C is that and all the vitamins, in fact, is that more isn't necessarily better. There is a sweet spot yeah. with that percentage that we want to have in, in yeah. our products. So with niacinamide, anywhere between a 5-10% in a serum is your sweet spot. And that's where you're going to see beneficial effects. And what niacinamide does is it's a great all-round product or ingredient, and it really helps with skin brightening, reducing pigmentation, and helping with just skin clarity can help with clearing spots and really yeah. just gives that overall, you know, clarity to the skin. But really next big powerhouse is our vitamin C. And the important yeah. thing with vitamin C is that we need to have the right type of vitamin C. So when we're talking yep. about active vitamin C, we always refer to allascorbic acid as being the gold standard. You can walk yep. into Chemist Warehouse and buy any type of vitamin C product, but they surely will not have allascorbic acid in the right concentration or in the right formulation. Hence why cosmeceutical products that do contain that can be quite expensive because it is an expensive ingredient. And what yep. that allascorbic acid does at a cellular level is that it's an antioxidant. And so it fights yep. the free radicals in your skin and it helps with protection against photo damage and protection of those free radicals eating away or damaging the skin. In a chemical way, it's basically sucking up all the electrons that are floating around causing that free radic damage. But that's probably for a chemistry podcast and, <laughs> and maybe not this one. But that's what vitamin C does. So we need to make yep. sure we're using allascorbic acid. And our optimum concentration for that is going to be between 15 and 20%. So again, yep. more is not better. It can be quite irritating. So you need it at that yep. sweet spot. And then, of course, yep. like I said before, your SPF, and we all know what that does in terms of protection against UV. So that's really a good yep. summary, keeping it ABC making sure we're using retinol or retinoic acid, niacinamide, allascorbic acid, and our SPF. That's a great basic awesome. routine that we all should be doing every single day. Awesome. Tanya, we'll wrap it up there. It's, I'm sure we'll talk again on this interesting topic. And I would just urge listeners to have an open mind around some of this stuff if you're not familiar with it. Do a little bit of reading. Even try it out on a family, friend, or yourself, and you might be surprised. And Tanya, thanks again for your time and uh, all the very best. No problem. Thanks for having me and happy to come back any other time. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to healthcert.com.